evidence and answers. It seems that we are witnessing a rapid increase in false ideologies and immoral behavior dominating our culture today. What was once understood as morally wrong is now right, and the greatest sin is to stand against sinful behavior. What should we expect as we near the end of the age and the return of Christ? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat will be teaching us from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and share what the Apostle Paul told us what to expect and how to prepare. Turn with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, many feel is Paul's final letter that he wrote to his young apprentice, Timothy, who was pastoring at Ephesus at that time. And so as we go about this passage, let's remember this is his final letter that perhaps he is writing from prison to his disciple. So as we begin, let's commit our time to prayer. God, help us to see the wisdom from the great apostle Paul, the lessons he seeks to teach us today, from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, June, I was wondering why I'm getting so many emails and so many ads. But June is LGBTQIA Pride Month. They keep adding letters there. And what was once understood commonly by everyone as immoral behavior and a mentally unhealthy lifestyle and psychological disposition is now celebrated and a new immoral ethic is being forced upon all people. And for the past few years, I have been stating that gay marriage, the redefinition of marriage is an attack on God's institution, the oldest institution in the world created by God, marriage and the biblical family. And transgenderism is an attack on the very image of God. So dismantling God's institution and defacing God's image has serious consequences for any civilization that would do that. And Christ Church here in these times is called to take her stand and to defend God's truth in a culture that is quickly turning away from God or has already turned away from God. However, many denominations and churches have compromised the Bible's teaching to gain popularity and adherence and acceptance by the world. For nearly two decades now, many of our mainline denominations have been ordaining openly gay pastors and bishops. And recently now, this past May, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, uh, one of the bigger Lutheran synods, has elected their first transgender bishop. The Reverend Megan Rohrer will lead the Sierra Pacific Synod of the Lutheran denomination. So this is the Pacific Northwest. She will be in charge of that whole area. So watching the direction of so many mainline denominations and churches and the way they are going is not only disturbing, but it can be very disheartening. You know, church has been a very dangerous place for many of us who seek to remain faithful uh, to God's Word. In fact, I've been invited to a couple of churches to speak, and before I even show up, they said, now whatever you do, don't touch this book of the Bible. 
And whatever you do, don't touch this book in the Old Testament. And don't mention this, and don't mention this, and don't mention this, and this, 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 and this. Otherwise, you can come and speak here. All right? A lot of times I had to say, if that's the case, I, I can't come. Sorry. All right? But we cannot be discouraged or lose heart because Jesus and the apostles warned us that this is what would happen as we come to the last days, as we near the return of Christ, this is what is to be expected. You know, I wonder if the Apostle Paul and the apostles were to walk into many of our churches, would they recognize the teaching that's coming from our pulpits today? And one of the reasons, you know, Christ and the apostles gave us these warnings was to prevent us from losing heart and to prevent us from being caught off guard when we see these things happening, right? This is what we can expect as we get near the return of Christ. And Paul tells us in this passage what to expect and how we are to respond, how we are to prepare and stand knowing what lies ahead. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he opens by saying this, but understand that in the last days there will be terrible times. So some of your translations read times of great difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal and not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now Paul warns us that as we get closer to the return of Christ, there will be times of great difficulty, or in some of your translations, it reads, uh, terrible times. It can be translated perilous or even violent times. And Paul describes the culture and even the church now in the last days, that people will turn away from God and we're going to see a deterioration in the culture that will even penetrate and affect Christ church in those final days. And Paul lists 19 characteristics here of the culture and even uh, many of the churches as the culture begins to influence and penetrate the churches here. Now, I don't have time to go through all 19 characteristics. You could probably do this in one of your Bible studies. But as I read this, many of you are going, uh-huh, okay, yes, yes, that describes us today. But I want to focus on the first one and the last one. The first one is that Paul says, people will be lovers of self or self-lovers, all right? And from the love of self, that's where many of these vices flow out of. They come as a result when people their primary shift for the love of God or even belief and faith in God turns and then it becomes pretty much love and worship of self. And it's from this love of self that the plethora of these sins and vices arise. Materialism, boastful, proud, conceited, unholy living, and the list goes on. And the last one, says having a form of godliness but denying its power. Paul here is saying is that many of these will pass themselves off as believers in Christ. All right? And so many of them will be in the churches having a form of godliness, professing outward faith in Christ. So they may have the outward appearance but lack the inner truth and inner character quality of a true disciple of Christ. Paul says, denying 
the very power of biblical teaching and the truth of the Word of God. So they deny clear biblical teaching. Now, Paul saw these in his present day, but he said there is going to come a time that this will intensify, especially as we get near the end of the age and the return of Christ. And then Paul warns us that false teachers and false teaching will arise here. He says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was to those two men. So Paul warns us that there will also be a rise in false teachings that will enter into the church. Right? And these false teachers and false teachings will arise and corrupt right, the body of Christ. And what is the tactic of these false teachers? It says they worm their way into homes to gain control over those who are weak and those who are vulnerable. So they entered into these homes and into the house of God under false pretenses, masquerading as believers and teachers and prophets and false apostles. They enter, worm their way. Okay? That's kind of a diabolical description of how they craftily work their way into the body of believers. They will be in churches. All right. He says they gain control, meaning that they seek complete psychological and spiritual dominance over their victims. That's why it's important the kind of leaders that you select here in the body of Christ. Men and women grounded in the Word of God, courageous and ready to defend the flock of God. <laughs> because these guys aren't coming, they're here. All right? They're victims. Well, in this case, all right, here in Ephesus, he says these are weak willed women who lack spiritual insight and moral substance, all right? He's saying in this specific case, not that all women are like this, but in this case, these were the prey they prey upon. It's their immaturity that made them easy targets for false teachers. And also, it says burdened with sin, somehow they had been morally compromised. So they have the curiosity about religion, but little ability to discern truth from error. They're unable or unwilling to respond to the truth of God that is presented. So it is the spiritually immature and the morally weak that make the best targets for false teachers and false teaching to enter in, whether they be men or women. And he says, like Janus and Jambres, who oppose Moses. This is from Jewish tradition here. These are the name of two of Pharaoh's magicians in Egypt who stood against Moses and competed against him and eventually failed. And Paul compares them to these false teachers whose influence is temporary and serious matter, but in the long run, they don't get far. Their folly will be clear to everyone. So what will characterize the end of the age 
is a mass turning away from God and a self-indulgent, self-worshipping, narcissistic society with false teaching that will threaten the church and many churches will compromise to this message. Just a couple days ago, my friend was telling me about his boys, all right, his, his son and his friend, who go to an elite private school here in Hawaii who has a historic Christian history. Historic Christian history. I don't think they've been Christian for nearly a century. But nevertheless, a historic Christian school. And they were sharing with their classmates why they oppose transgenderism and gay marriage in this traditional, historic, Christian, private school. They were immediately accosted by the teacher and sent right down to the principal. And he sat down in front of the principal, and the principal said, I'm appalled that you guys would be saying these kinds of things on this school campus. And the principal looked at him and said, I'm gay, and I'm living with my partner. So how dare you guys come and you speak these kinds of racist, bigoted, kind of language here in this school, this will not be tolerated. You guys better get over your racism and get over it, all right? Now, there was a time when we applauded young men and women for their moral conviction. But now, right is wrong, and it's sin to speak against sinful behavior. In classical education, or in Christian education, or classical education, it was hard to become a teacher you know, because the teacher was not only the educator, but it was the person of highest moral standing. Because in classical education, the teacher is not only your educator, the teacher is your role model. And it was understood that next to the parents, it was probably the teacher that had the most influence on young men and women. So it was hard to become a teacher because we only picked the men and women of highest moral character. But today in our schools, even in our historically Christian schools, we readily hire teachers living openly in sin. And our young people now are growing up completely morally confused. And so our life application is this. We need to understand biblical values are often going to be in direct conflict with the values of the world especially a culture that has turned away from God. And so the Christian and God's church must take their stand. That's the mindset you have to be in now, all right? And remain faithful to biblical teaching and the values expounded on in God's Word. Because the situation is only going to intensify as we near the end of the age. Now, in light of difficult times ahead, how should the men and women of God respond? Well, Paul gives us three exhortations here. And the first one is to live with integrity. All right? In contrast to the false teachers, Paul exhorts Timothy. He says, you know how they are, but you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. In contrast to the false teachers, Paul says, remember my example. 
And Paul says here, you know, you know all about my teaching and my lifestyle. And the word know there means to intimately know. Timothy traveled with Paul. They roomed together. They suffered together. And he carefully observed and studied Paul's life. And he saw that Paul's lifestyle, his faith, his patience, his love, his endurance revealed the genuineness of his faith, even in the face of persecution. And Paul's integrity was seen through his faithfulness, despite all the hardships that he faced. He lived a life of integrity so that he could look at Timothy and he says, you remember my example. Let this be a guide to you as you take your stand in a world that's going to be very difficult because it's turning away from God. But remember my example. What an incredible legacy to leave behind. A life of integrity has greater impact all right, than you will ever know. The pastor J.R. Miller wrote this. He said, the only thing that walks back from the tomb with the mourners and refuses to be buried is the character of a man. This is true. What a man is survives him. It can never be buried. To live a life of integrity is to live a life no one will forget. And the impact is absolutely incredible. You know, I played baseball growing up. I must have played for over a dozen coaches, all right? Many of them were awful, all right? But many of them were good. Well, a few of them. The good ones, I can count on one hand. But they're the ones that made the greatest impact on my life and the life of many of us who had the privilege to play for these men. And I remember Coach Dave, you know, I played for him in my freshman and sophomore year of high school. I played summer ball for him and his reputation preceded him. People know, knew him as a good coach. And so it was a privilege to be able to play for him. And one of the things he said is, he said, winning is not my first priority. It is not. He said, my first priority is to build quality men. All right, that's my first priority. I don't care if we win or lose. That's my first priority. And that's what I care about most. And all the great coaches, all right, some of them I got to meet. Some of them I got to meet the players who played for them. Joe Gibbs, Tom Landry, Tony Dungy, and others. That's what they all said. And they ended up being winners as a byproduct of the quality of men they produced. But their first priority was to create men and women of integrity because what? They were men of integrity. And you talk to their players, and that's what they say about these. These men were like a father to us, a role model, a tremendous example. I remember Coach Dave, you know, one of the things that mark a good coach is integrity. And one of the things that how it's displayed in a coach, in a leader, in a boss, in the leader of a platoon, in the leader of a business, in a teacher, is that they treat everyone fairly. They treat everyone equally. They don't play favorites here. And a lot of the coaches I played for were awful because they played favorites. If it was their friends, friends, cousins, son, he was playing. All right, I don't care if the guy behind him, you know, was Derek Tatsuno, 
you know, or Sid Fernandez. He, you're sitting on the bench because my friend's friend's niece's uncle's son is going to play, all right? Or if it was the coach's son or the coach, you know, whatever. You had all this kind of political stuff going on. It was really discouraging to see that when really good, outstanding players were ridiculed in practice and every reason was found to put them on the bench and keep them on the bench while the coach's son's nephew was treated with privilege. You know, he could do nothing wrong. It's just very discouraging. But the good coaches of integrity treated everyone fairly. Whether you were the superstar or not, if you acted in a way that was not becoming of the team standards, you sat on the bench. And if you worked hard, somehow he found a way to reward you. Somehow he did. Those were the good coaches. And I remember playing for Coach Dave, and his son was the catcher. You know, his son was all-star catcher every year. Well, there was a catcher who was better than Coach Dave's son. He was better, all right? And we're all looking at that saying, he is not going to bench his son, all right? And I went up to my buddy, the catcher, and I said, uh, you better learn how to play first base or something because you're not going to beat out the coach's son, all right? That's, you know how it works. And he said, yeah, I know. And, uh, well, come the first day of the game, he announced the starting lineup. And Coach Dave's son was on the bench. It stunned all of us, all right? And his son, you know, was on the bench for the whole summer season because the other catcher was better, all right? And, of course, you know, Coach Dave's son got to play, but we all admired the coach for that because he was a man of integrity, all right? He did, what do he say? He treated all of us fairly, from the superstar to even his own son. And I remembered that model, it's impacted me ever since. I've never been able to be as good as him. You know, when I teach my students in the grad school there, or when I've been leading a church, I've, I've tried to treat everyone equally as Coach Dave did. Now, it's hard for me to do because there's some people we connect better than others. Some people I'm more uncomfortable with, you know, but I try to follow Coach Dave's model. And interviewed Mark Benson, former president of Honolulu Ford there. And I said, what is the mark of a Christian company? What makes a Christian company different from anything else? And he said, integrity. And I said, okay, how do you live that out? And he said, I treat everyone fairly. All my employees, I treat fairly and I treat the customer fairly. They know they're getting a good, honest deal from me. We're gonna be fair to everyone. Integrity, that's the power of integrity. And Paul says here, to be faithful, to Jesus Christ and the teaching and to live a life of integrity. And so your application is this, integrity will be your lasting legacy. So guard it, live it, never ever compromise it, whatever the cost may be. So Paul's first exhortation is to live with integrity. The second one is to endure persecution here. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Paul exhorts Timothy here, courageously endure persecution. He says, everyone, everyone who seeks to live a godly life will encounter persecution. If Christ did, all right, Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If they called the master the devil, how much more? His disciples. 
And in the last days, if you understand the situation, it will intensify as a culture turns away from God and as evil and false teaching continue to grow. And false teaching, Paul says, is going to increase as evil men and imposters go from bad to worse. It's going to get tougher to maintain and live out your faith as the culture continues to turn away from God. I was teaching at a conference in Texas this past week, and, you know, they start at 8 a.m., which means in Hawaii, we're waking up at 3 a.m. over here, well, earlier to get ready, all right? And I was teaching, and, of course, the big issue, transgenderism, and we're, that's one of the seminars that I had to teach. And during the Q&A time, a teacher questioned, and she said this, she said, I'm a teacher in school, and I know what the policy is. If a, if a boy comes to me and says, I'm a girl, I cannot tell them otherwise. I can't say, oh, wait a minute, okay, uh, let's try to get you comfortable with your body. We have to allow them and encourage them to start going for gender transformation. We can't speak against that, I know that. run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners, for the opportunity to donate. Once again, we'll direct you to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucarelli.